Hello and welcome to the She's Heard podcast. My name is Emily Jennings, and you found the place where extraordinary everyday people from different professions and walks of life share about how they found their voice and are using it to speak up and create meaningful change. Today, I'm speaking with mother, athlete, yoga instructor, innovator, and transformational leader, Jasmine Hines. Jasmine is the founder of the Inspire Agency and founder of Amplify and Activate. Jasmine facilitates difficult conversations in various organizations ranging from the construction industry to historical museums to yoga studios. Her truth-telling, fiercely loving, creative, and compassionate stand for humanity bridges trust amongst diverse groups, optimizing communication, effectiveness, creativity, and leadership. She consistently delivers cutting-edge programming that helps to embolden and heal communities. Jasmine has played key roles in spearheading, leading, and creating the Charlotte chapter of the Sister Care Alliances, the Self-Care Agency, the Amplify and Activate Summit, as well as the Self-Care Movement. The Self-Care Movement is a reminder for our government and fellow citizens to recognize and acknowledge our collective humanity as the primary source of power. The self-care movement also serves as a catalyst to relearn practical strategies to implement and address our critical needs. Through practicing a mindset of self-care, we can catalyze change within ourselves, our families, our communities, and beyond. In this episode, Jasmine shares key moments that help shape her into the powerful black woman she is today. She invites us to look at our self-care through the lens Anana Harris Paris teaches in the book, Self-Care Matters, a Revolutionary Approach. I'm inspired by Jasmine's unwavering commitment and lifestyle of healing, thriving, and creating with joy while closing the gaps both personally and in the community, one fierce, steady step at a time. So without further ado, it is truly my divine pleasure to share this conversation with you. Miss Inspowerful Jasmine Hines. <laughs> and so you are a mother, a founder at Amplify and Activate, and of the Inspower Agency. And you facilitate difficult conversations. And you have experience working in the construction industry. And you do some really cool stuff with that. Like you just finished doing an all women's crew that built a house. Yeah. Habitat build. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is so badass. So thank you for being here and welcome Inspowerful Woman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love that. (laughs) It's such a great word. This conversation Mm -hmm. is about owning your life and your space and your voice it's an opportunity for us to, since you're in a position of leadership and those that are in leadership oftentimes don't get time to pause and reflect on their whole, like their journey and what it's taken for them to get to where you are. And of course, we're constantly evolving and it's not said and done. I find it really inspiring to hear, you know, where you're from, like where you're from, from, like not just like where are you from geographically, but like what it's taken for you to be the powerful mother, leader, sister, black woman that you are. So thank you for being open to that. And I'm excited to hear your story and for others to learn from it as well. And thank you for your courage in being willing to share that and let us learn from you. I'm honored that you invited me and you see me in those ways. And Mm -hmm. like you said, being in the work, sometimes we can lose sight of what it took to get here. I love opportunities where I can step back and reflect because reflection is so powerful and helping me to decide, you know, what's my next best move. So thank you. Yeah. So can you start from the beginning? Where are you from, Mama? Yeah. I love that you frame that question and not the geographic terms. Mm-hmm. So the best way that I can answer that is that I'm from love for that, that throughout my life's experience, I've learned to operate from love. So all that I do is guided by that. And that's my true North. That's my guidepost. That's what keeps me in check is, am I operating from a place of love and what is the best expression 
And how do I align myself from that place? And if it ain't love, it ain't right. So I ain't doing it. <laughs> um, and it also is a hard, a hard place to be in a world that's so unloving, right? Like in a world that negates that, that spirit of love. And it weighs heavy on me at times that I'm grateful I have self-care to carry me through because I've seen people who try and operate from love, but they don't have that, we'll call it like a safety net of safe self-care for themselves that will help replenish, that helps them understand when to say no, because no is a form of love too, mm -hmm. right? So I feel like at this ripe old age of 41, that I've had enough of experience to own my fuckets <laughs> and to own who I really am and embrace all of it, all of it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's where I'm from. Welcome. <laughs> and that is tricky to learn to, to use love as a, as like your barometer mm -hmm. of um, your choices. And it can be tricky in a capitalistic world. Yeah. Yeah. In a world where social convention is so important mm -hmm. that to be a trailblazer as I am and one who's willing to take risks, like the world would not have me do and say and be the things that, that I am. But I do them anyway because I know what my intention and, you know, I take time to consider what the impact could be because sometimes we don't take that extra step. Like what are the possible impacts? Some we know, some we don't. Mm -hmm. And that's where the risk comes in that, you know, your intention as well. You study, do your self study, do the studying of others to understand what the potential impact can be and to be up for being in the mess. Like if it comes up messy, which oftentimes it can, um, to be up for like, okay, well I'm, I'm in the work. I'll, I'll, I'll be about that. Um, I think oftentimes that's, and correct me if you think or if experienced differently, but it oftentimes seems to me that once it's messy, I know I'm in it. <laughs> like if it's too <laughs> cut and clean, it's like, oh, this is too comfortable. But it's like when it's in messy, I know I'm in it. But I also don't want to say like it has to be hard or suffering or anything. Right, like right. But yeah. Because at the same token, you know, we deserve ease, right? Yeah. yeah. We, we do such hard, big work that yeah, you know, when the universe aligns and all the planets and stars and quasars say, bitch, go do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just walk right on in and it's smooth and meant to be in that way. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, you learn in the mess too. You learn in the mess too. So you're currently in North Carolina. Yes, Charlotte. In Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay. And that's where you were born, right? No, actually, I was born in the Northeast in a small town called Elizabeth City, North Carolina, okay. which is in the Outer Banks, uh, close to Norfolk, Virginia. Okay. You're an only child. Yes, I am. And you moved around. You've lived in many different geographical regions of the United States. Uh, yeah, several. So um, North Carolina was, is my mainstay. My grandparents and family and uh, ancestors are grounded here in North Carolina soil. Um, but I also lived in New Jersey for a hot minute. And then another majority of my life and life experience is from West Coast, Los Angeles. You're a UCLA grad. I am, brewing for life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear of some of the, like, the moments that helped you shape you to like trust the boldness in you and to trust the truth that comes up in kind of poignant, challenging moments. And I know we've discussed a few of these. And you're also an athlete. I failed to mention that at the beginning. <laughs> you're a yoga teacher and you're a former like competitive power lifter. Yes. Which is 
awesome because most like that is a obviously a powerful intense sport right and i know like there was key aha moments that happened for you in trusting your body and trusting your desires that came through that experience as well so can you take us through your first moment of noticing I got a voice here and that I need to use it? You know, I reflect on my early childhood and it's, it's just in my family DNA to speak up. So, you know, I honor and praise my strong women in my family that were my role models for never silencing your voice or making yourself small. So, you know, I pay homage to my mom, to my grandmother, my aunts. Like, they're just badass. They're not going to take anybody, just anybody's shit, right? So I always had that modeled for me. And I'll, I'll tell a quick story. I remember being like, you know, maybe seven, six years old. And my granny was like, and we were in the grocery store. And somebody jumped in line in front of her. And she said, excuse me, I was in line. And I'm like, Granny, why do you have to be so pushy? It's not a big deal. She said, if you don't speak up for yourself, nobody will. And that was like one of my first lessons of no matter what, self-respect and speaking your voice is of the utmost importance. Right? So... You know, if you don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. Nobody else is going to do it. And nobody else is going to do it. And, and I see how that relates to today. It's more important than ever, right? Like it's always been important for the black experience to speak up, but we couldn't in some cases, right? And we still are shut out from speaking our voice because the consequences are so high for us. But I've always been in positions where I'm just going to say it. I'll speak to the elephant in the room because I'll burst if I don't (laughs) because just the spirit that's within me and and what I know to do is speaking up is always the right thing. And it's somebody else's work if they can't handle what I've said. Right. But I'm coming like knowing that I'm coming from that place of love and truth, you know, let that be somebody else's work. So, like I said, um, it was early on and throughout my life, I've had women to say, always speak up. And then it was my exposure. Like, so North Carolina is really black and white, right? Race Literally, and- like it's quite segregated. Very much so. Yeah. Um, so I went to integrated schools. You know, all I saw in school was black and white. Um, and so it wasn't until I moved to New Jersey that I started to see like, Puerto Ricans and Greeks and Italians and like there's like a whole nother world out here right so that was my first exposure to there's more in the world than I knew and that I wanted to know more and I got the opportunity when my mom got married and we moved out to Cali I was like holy shit (laughs) like you know there's Koreans and Japanese and East Indian, Pakistani, there's the whole world represented out there in LA. And how old were you when you came to LA? Uh, Nine. Okay. And then, so you'd come from New York or from New Jersey? Jersey, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. And I stayed there until I was about, what, 24, 23. So bulk of my life was there. But every summer I would come back to North Carolina to visit with my my grandparents and aunts and stuff, right? Um, so yeah, it was in Cali, like, go to Venice Beach, right? And <laughs> see the whole world and, and my school and my neighborhood. So that was really awesome to have that experience and that broader worldview, like at an early age and throughout my life to experience different cultures and understand like people are people but it's the constraints of society that disconnects humanity, right? So the falsehood that exists in the Holly weirdness of LA. Oh, that's good. Holly weirdness. Yeah. Yeah. Weirdness of LA. Like 
just pulled people away from their humanity. So I could see that too. Um, but yeah, so those were like some world framing, you know, that I had um, to help me in the work that I do today. Mm-hmm. And so then you grew up kind of what sounds to me like just like an imprint on your kind of nervous system of what it looks, sounds, and feels like to speak your truth. Right. Which is so, such a gift, I think. Thank you to your family for doing that. Because I grew up with being, shh, be polite. Don't upset people. Mm. Don't be too loud. You know, so it takes some very real consequences if I did. Yeah. So quite the opposite messaging. Yeah. Um, so, so let me not uh, be uh, misled. Like I did experience abuse in my household. Mm. So there was that element of the legacy that exists in many families and in particular black families, the legacy of abuse of a child is to be seen and not heard, you know, don't talk back, do as I say, not as I do. And then I had a mother who was just very stressed in her own life. She had me at 19. Um, so she was very much growing up as I was growing up too. Yeah. And that's always a very difficult situation. Um, but she was, you know, so strong and finding her own way, but it was not without consequence, you know, and me sometimes being the emotional punching bag and sometimes physical. So I would experience, you know, what you were speaking to of smalling myself mm. to calm the storms that it did exist in my house. But then I also had this, you know, this binary in that, you know, I grew up with around my dad's family with very boisterous women. So when I would go out, you know, out of the household, I would definitely speak up and, and it didn't stop me. <laughs> Um, even in, in my household to speak up, I would just, you know, have to suffer the punishment of that. (laughs) But it was just something like, I, it's, yeah, well, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, but, uh, I just kind of had to figure out how to balance surviving in that house. And it was very much a survival situation that I could not get to or really understand thriving except through sports, right? Mm. So that's where I was able to channel and understand and have a breakthrough for my own mental paradigm about what thriving felt like. Mm. So I had a physical understanding of that, what it meant in my body and how that translated in my mind and how my spirit was even transformed, understanding the power that I had within um, so Say more about that. How did, how did you find that? Yeah, I just kind of fell into it cause I wasn't exposed to sports much like my parents. They didn't do sport, but you know, they offered basketball. <laughs> funny story is like, so I entered a private school as in seventh grade and my mom put me in a private school in LA and here I am on the first day. I'm a tall black one. Right. Oh, we have a basketball game today. Can she play? <laughs> I never picked up a basketball in my life. Right. And so I called my mom. I'm like, hey, they want me to play. And, and she's like, what? <laughs> so she brought me some shoes because I didn't have any shoes. They suited me up and they put me on the court and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> So you talk about jumping in, like I'm shooting at the wrong basket. I'm, I'm traveling and I have no freaking clue what in the world, but you know, I'm tall and black. So there's an assumption, (laughs) right? Yeah. But I stuck with it. You know, it's like, whatever this is, this is fun. I want to do it again. And you know, I got coaching around that. So I played basketball throughout junior high, high school, and into college. I played intramurals at UCLA, but I fell in love with weightlifting. 
that was my thing. We and did when it did you find that? 10th grade. We did it as a form of supplement to volleyball. I played volleyball too. So we did it to strength training for volleyball and just so happened that our coach uh, was good friends with a teacher who was at our high school and our volleyball coach was friends with the teacher who on the side trained local and regional athletes who were training for Olympics, like in weightlifting. You know, I tried it and I was like really good at it. And like I said, it was, it was in the expression of what thriving felt like for me. It was expression of this is something that I can control. And this is something where I'm getting positive feedback. This is something, you know, that's healthy for me. Like it's a good, healthy way of being. And it gave me the confidence that was diminishing, you know, in my household. Because it seemed like the older I got, the worse the abuse got in my house. Um, Because there was a separation anxiety. My mom was also adopted. So knowing that, you know, I'm going to go off to college one day, just kind of try to tighten the reins, but in a unproductive format of abuse. So yeah, with weightlifting, it was like, it just took all that away. Like it didn't exist and it didn't matter for that two hour training time frame. Like I was a shit, you know, nobody could, could fuck with me. And what I found with movement tr- practices like that is that it, what I loved about it is that it makes you be present. Yes. And for me, it was like one of, it was like a vacation from all the noise that was happening out there. Mm-hmm. And it was like the first time I had of, of uh, and I didn't know it or have language for it at the time, but in, when I had a similar experience with my body in high school as well and doing strength training. But, but now that I look back, I was like, I was in my, I was in my body. I was like being present. And then yeah. with practice, trusting yes. the strength and the alignment and what, and the potential of it. Yeah. So like, you know, I think back even in this moment of, you know, some of the deadlifts or the squats or these, you know, hamstring, like the small incremental movements that you make in order to prepare the body for the big lift, right? So we did clean and jerk and snatch, and those were full body big lifts that, you know, ultimately you're going to compete doing, but it was in the, the, the grind of the smaller buildup movements or the, the training that I didn't know at the time, right? But they're so important. It's the small things that are important because it builds and prepares your body and your mind for when you, when it all comes together, like it comes together with such ease and grace that there's a moment we call it in being in flow, right? When you're in that flow state Mm -hmm. and you're present of all things at the same time. Now I put it in terms of yoga, right? Like that's union. Being in a flow state is like being in union with your body where you can ultimately just get, just let go let go of all the thinking of the small movements that you need to do, but that's settling in your routine or whatever it is that you have to get ready for the lift. And then you just do the damn lift, right? Like at that point, it's just, let's go. Right. And you go and you do it, or I, I went and I did it. And like every time it just felt like, Really good sex. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm out. I'm right out there. <laughs> but it's a release. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. yeah. You know, it's just like um, the highest expression of self. Yeah. Yeah. So, so didn't you have to stay, like, was your mom supportive of you doing this? No, not really. No, not the weightlifting because yeah. she she subscribed to social conventions, not understanding what it really was. She thought I was bodybuilding. She couldn't get her mind around the concept. And then when I showed her, she's like, oh, well, you're going to look like a 300 pound, you know, like there's just so many misconceptions. Yeah, that she yeah. wanted to believe or that I would become a lesbian and I'm like whatever. (laughs) 
so I didn't listen to her, you know, I'm like, well, I'm doing this anyway. So I'm not out here, you know, sexing it away. I'm not drugging it up. You know, I'm not in the gang. This is good for me and I'm gonna keep doing it. Right. So ultimately she just left me alone. <laughs> Let you do your thing. Yeah. When she saw like, you know, how good it was for me, she just left me alone. So can you take us through kind of your healing process mm-hmm. of, of finding, like what brought you to yoga? I know you, you've healed a lot <laughs> and you faced a lot. And was yoga a, a catalyst for that? Yoga was for me, the medicine, the therapy, the interpersonal counseling that I needed to get through really difficult time in my life. So how I got to North Carolina or got back to North Carolina was that my grandfather, my mom's dad, adopted dad, was uh, diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So I made the decision along with her um, to move back to Charlotte, which was really the only place we could live. He was still living in Elizabeth City. And we were like, well, we'll move there to be closer to him. And plus we had a couple people who lived here from my dad's side. So I was like, well, it's time, you know, for me to like nest, you know, I was really tired of the rat race and wanted to have like a house and a family and those things for myself. So I moved here to Charlotte. I ended up getting married in which I imported my husband from, or our ex-husband from LA. (laughs) I did one of those moves. Mm -hmm. Um, It was through that marriage that, you know, you know someone, I knew him for 11 years, but you never really know someone until you're up close and personal and living in the space and seeing all the things. And, you know, at the time he was, he had a drug problem. And it affected, you know, our interaction so severely. And then what confounded that issue was my daughter was five months old. And his mom committed suicide. So it was like, bam, bam, you know, like trauma on top of trauma. Um, and I couldn't navigate that. I wasn't of, I didn't have any tools. I just didn't have any tools to navigate that except fear. Mm -hmm. Right. So fear said, get out of the house. I've got to take care of this child. Fear said, I have to work three jobs to take care of this job. You know, I was just so fear driven Mm -hmm. that I lost my way, which I stated earlier, I'm from a place of love. Right. So for several years, I found myself in such a fear state. It just started to deteriorate on my spirit. And I was um, surrounded. I looked around. I was surrounded by so many people who were also fear based. So I went through like a leadership program here locally and I met a woman there. She said, come to yoga with me. I'm like, what's that? (laughs) All I knew was like Raquel Welch in a book. from the 80s (laughs) (laughs) um so I went with her and I mean it was like love at first sight right Mm -hmm. that first class was so transformative in like 60 minutes and I'm like it was hot yoga and I was sweating and it got back it helped me get back to the place that I knew of being present in my body Mm -hmm. Like being in flow, right? It's vinyasa. So like being in flow state, being in one again, and it just rejuvenated my whole being. I was like, this is what I know. Like, I remember you. Where where have you been? That's so powerful. Yeah. I like a reacquaintance, you know, like meeting yourself again. Yeah. Sometimes it happens in life, right? Like we get derailed, disconnected. Well, and that's, that's a impact of trauma is being disassociated from your body. Right. Like that's one of the impacts. Right. And without 
sufficient tools, mm -hmm. right? To be able to recognize that that's happening and to get back in tune with self. You know, you're just out there, just out there. Um, so I recognize for me that, okay, so this is something that yoga is something that I can grow into to learn, to reacquaint myself with, with who I am and what I'm really about. Then I started learning the path of moving away from surviving and fear into, into thriving and love. And yeah, ever since, you know, I took that first class, it was like, yeah, I'm about this life over here. <laughs> and I'm really about healing self. Let me take this time to work on me and love me in the purest way, the way that I was brought into this world, right? From my ancestor in an ancestral basis, right? Like to be the power that um, that they put into me to be that they endured so that I could be. So like, owning that space was really important for me. So I started practicing in 2009 and yeah, I ain't stopped since. Mm -hmm. And now you're teaching. Yes. Um, you, and you have done so much. You were laughing earlier about like how you start so many things. And then you pass it off. And I, th I think that's actually true leadership. It's like not needing to own it, but like seeing a need and having, knowing that you have the skills to create and to start and to collaborate and to bring people in and then to help something flourish. So it fills that gap. It helps whatever the issue is to now flourish and to have wholeness. So you've done that many things. <laughs> and yeah. one of the things was um, self-care Charlotte. Yes. Right? You yes. started. Okay. Can you tell us about that? Like, and how that was related to your own personal healing as well? Yeah. So that's, that's a part of like me birthing a thing. Um, and exactly what you spoke to is seeing a need and saying, well, I'm going to do something about it. You know, again, that I think that comes from, you know, the women in my family. Well, I'm just going to say it or I'm just going to be about it. Right. Like just jump in. Um, so it was, I think it was like back in 2016, you know, we were really inundated in social media with the police brutality and murder of black and brown bodies. I think it was Philando Castile at that point had just been murdered. And that one hit so hard because his daughter was in the car, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, you know, shit could have been me. Mm -hmm. um, and all of them, right? Mm -hmm. But that one was particularly hard. And I went to a yoga retreat, my very first yoga retreat with Octavia Rahim, shout out to Sacred Chill West in Atlanta. <laughs> But, uh, we went to uh, Dahlonega in Georgia, in the mountains of Georgia, and I just had such an epiphany there when I met Anana Harris-Paris, who wrote the book, Self-Care Matters, A Revolutionary's Approach. Yeah, I was just infused by her spirit and what she spoke to and what self-care is about. And I was like, yeah, that's the work I've been doing. Like, I've been doing that. I've been taking care of myself. I've been investing and moving into this thriving mode, but I, I felt like there wasn't language around it for me. And there wasn't something that was really tangible. Like it was an amorphous concept. Like I was doing these things, but how do I talk about that? How do I see the things progress? Like in an orderly way, like an organized way, and she, she made that possible in writing this book and making, breaking self-care down to like an everyday work that you can actualize and plan for and build this like enormous set of tools knowing that you're not alone in your self-care. And so I met, so let me back up. So at, it was at that retreat that, 
I said she she was campaigning for self-care days to happen in every city so that the government recognizes the, who they work for and that they work for the people. And that we know the people have power and it just reminds people, or the government in particular, that you're here to serve. So by acknowledging a self-care day, that puts humanity first, right? Not the politics of the day, but humanity first. So she was campaigning for that. And I was like, oh my God, Charlotte needs this. We need to do this. And then this voice would come up like, if you don't sit your ass down, you don't have time for that. So I was toggling back and forth in my mind between, but it would be such a great thing, you know, for us to embrace this and our city is so divided and all these things. But you are a single mom, you work in three jobs, you got this and that. Stop, just you do doing too much, right? So ultimately, I recognized the fear voice and I said, you need to, you need to stop. And I said yes to her. I said, we're doing it in Charlotte. When do you want to come? Like, how do we do this? And so, so that was in August. October, we had like a pre-launch. And then in December, we had, December 2016, we had our first self-care day. I said, I wrote a proclamation to the city declaring December 4th self-care day for Charlotte. So we got that. (laughs) (laughs) That's so awesome. (laughs) Okay. So what were some of the key things? So for people that might not understand really what self-care means, like it's kind of a buzzword. There's like self-care Sunday and, you know, and it's like, ah, and I, I mean, I'm have somewhat of an understanding of it, but from what I've heard you and Kelly Carboni Woods kind of talk about, it's like a much deeper practice than most really attribute it for. So what were some of the things that you learned from Anana Harris Paris? I learned that, yeah, self-care is not about a manicure and a spa day. And though that can be incorporated, it's much deeper than that. Like taking a revolutionary approach, a a social justice activist approach is um, like what Audre Lorde would call a political act of warfare, right? So the systems and structures in this country in which we live, work very hard to ensure that we're not taking our care, care of ourselves and that we're these cogs in a wheel of, for their benefit. So in a capitalistic society, uh, you know, they wanting you to be consumers of goods. Uh, they want you to be laborers, not thinkers. Um, they want you to be uphold, be complicit in the system of white supremacy and racism. So it's not until you connect with self and address the things that you critically need to be a human in this society is when you realize that those what those systems are actually doing to your psyche and your spirit and to communities as a whole. So self-care is broken down into six different categories. It's spiritual, emotional, artistic, economic, which is time, money, and energy. Mm-hmm physical, educational, and social. So it's a holistic approach in which you create goals for yourself in those categories that you attend to the things that you need, critically need in those categories. And that, again, you don't have to go at it alone. You have a self-care buddy, you have self-care dream team. So instead of taking a traditional Western individualistic approach to your self-care is more from the African spirit of collectivist mentality that you're not in this alone and that you have help which encourages you to even ask for help which is very hard for most people but asking for help is another part of the plan so it's such a thorough plan I encourage everybody to get our book from Amazon but it's such a thorough way of living your life that's that gets you in touch with your authenticity but also fortifies you against these systems that would not have you be well and not have you be aware and well there's a difference right like you can be sleepy and be well right ask the real housewives (laughs) right Mm -hmm. but yeah to really be engaged and present and a part of what we were talking about earlier their future generations 
mm-hmm. is the work, but it's such good, rich work. Mm-hmm. It's so fulfilling when you can be a part of that. And what I hear too in this is like, it's slowing down to get in touch with a deeper, authentic part of you, not the egoic um, part that's kind of always spinning out and comparing and competing. It's not that self. <laughs> it's a deeper part of self. There's different parts of us. So it's, it's understanding a deeper, more authentic part of you and taking care of that part of you, not the one that's tripping out over all the things that we are inundated with messaging that we need. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and once you take care of yourself, you, you realize the systems for what they are and yeah. how you are being used. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. How you're unconsciously swept up and participating and it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. And then how you get to, and this is what has been such a defining part of my recent life is me being a designer of how I not only am located, but what I'm able to create for myself and for my community. And though I've always done those things, I haven't really understood my why. Like I've had kind of superficial whys. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, this is nice to do. Oh, this would be good for... But no, now I'm like, no, I'm setting this up to transform people's minds, people's hearts. I'm setting this up for a legacy to have someone stand upon my shoulders of the work that I'm doing. Like there's a deeper meaning for me and inspire people to wake up and see their own power in this mm-hmm. and themselves. Cause I'm just, you know, I'm just a person, I'm not any kind of like magical butterfly. I'm just, person that's willing Mm -hmm. how do you how can you be willing and well at the same time Mm -hmm. and to work at a sustainable pace right right Right. how does this influence how you raise your daughter that's like a big ass question i know (laughs) (laughs) you said you wanted to be mindful of time emily i know i might have to cut this part out but this is just a selfish question then for me (laughs) Like, how do you, like, all of this, because, I mean, in previous conversations, we've talked about, like, how you're able, through everything that you've learned on your healing journey, you're able to now give her tools that you didn't get until you're, like, 30-something, right? And she's getting them at, like, 14, right? And that's, like, that's the beauty of, like, standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before you and to see your role in that and to take up your space in that, to own your space and giving yourself that and then for the sake of like bettering your community and bettering the the generations that have yet to come like that's the authentic self of honoring that piece what are just like maybe two or three things that you are like clear that you are giving your daughter i'm giving my daughter an example of what leadership looks like right that she can be the change in simply honoring her own truth and speaking truth and being willing to participate in it like through through its messy messy ways through its glory um through its challenges through its unknown parts that the work is worth it. I'm giving her, I'm going to do more than two. Um, (laughs) Giving her a frame of reference in how to operate in this world of white supremacy and racism and fortifying her spirit as a powerful black woman that she already is. Like she already is that. And that she has the power and deserves healing she has tools for that and that she has power and deserves to be well to have ease to 
do what she chooses in this world. Like whatever that is, she has a desire to be a veterinarian. Go be that, go do that. She has, you know, a desire to love whoever she wants to love. Go be that, go do that. Live your best life now. I had to wait till I was 30 something. I mean, I was living my, I was living, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I lived out of the country and done some amazing best life things. Like it's always been there for me because my family really set me up that way. But I feel like my, my life is much more purposeful now. Whereas before it was like a little bit more happenstance just because something seemed cool. Oh, let me go get that experience. Wow. Cool. Versus now it's like got a lot more intention behind it. And then just the exposure to the power that yoga has to transform and heal and all the beautiful things that that is. Though she doesn't participate in that regularly, the exposure to it alone is enough. Well, and yoga is so much more than just the asana practice. It's how you're being, it's truth telling. It's So she's getting those elements of it, whether she knows it or not, whether she agrees to it or not, just by being oh, around you. Yeah. Oh, no, no doubt. And, and when she like, yeah, she, she adopts to some things and some things she's like, yeah, nah, <laughs> <laughs> but she has choice. Like mm-hmm. to know that she has choice and whatever it is that she, if I'm preaching that, then yeah, she has, I honor her choices. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I say that all the time, but yoga is much more than asana. And I had to cuss out the studios here and that that's all they're teaching is asana. So they need to change their names to asana gyms, not yoga studios, because that's not what they're about. So yeah, I mean, Satya is huge in our house and what Amplify and Activate does is its intent is to create a space for Ahimsa and particularly for marginalized to reduce the harms happening to marginalized folks in our community. Because um, people like to spiritually bypass and go into yoga. And yeah, we're not having that here. Mm-hmm. Say, we see you, we know what you're doing, and you need to wake the hell up mm-hmm. and know what the impacts are. So for those that don't know Ahimsa, can you define that? Yeah, I mean, it's non-harming. That's a simple way of putting it for me, that these implicit biases that occur in white-centered spaces is causing harm, and yoga studios propagate that through where they're located, their pricing structures, the way that they teach or train teachers. They're complicit in creating harm. And they don't even know it. So we're here to say, these are the ways that you're doing that. You need to stop. Because that's not yoga, right? All right. So can you please brag about all the bomb ass things that you've done? No, I can't brag. (laughs) Why not? It's not in an egomaniacal way. It's in a like owning your life and how bomb you are. What do you what are you asking, Emily? What what exactly? I want to give you permission to acknowledge and own and be proud of what you've started, what you've created. Yeah. From this vantage point in your life looking back, kind of like take an inventory. Um so I guess like one of the joys, personal joys that I've done for myself is learning a second language and living abroad. So there's nobody in my family that speaks a second language fluently. And having grown up in LA, like, you know, if you didn't speak Spanish, you were definitely at a disadvantage, right? So like I picked Spanish up, but I I didn't really connect to it until I lived in Costa Rica and Spain and, you know, immersed myself in the culture and learned it that way. So that was probably the best gift that I gave to myself. So like I've taught Spanish to middle school kids and it was only for one year, but I just operated in such an authentic way with them that helped me get back to self when I came back, right? Like having the corporate experience, it didn't do it for me, but 
being able to give to another human being and help them flourish, I knew that's where I needed to be in some kind of space and capacity for that. So I've always been about developing teens, kids, but also women and particularly women of color. So things that I've done for, for women is like, I put together like a golf club. So we learned how to play golf, right? Or I would have house party, like karaoke house parties, and just, you know, so we could just be social and be together and away from the stresses of life, just be joyous. I started a chapter from a national program called ACE Mentor Program, which is architecture, construction, and engineering. So I started a, the local chapter for that program for teens to expose them to careers in construction and architecture. And that was 2006. We started that and that's still going on. And you started a camp? Yeah, our, I currently work at uh, Central Piedmont uh, Community College and we started a, a summer camp for kids. Um, to expose them to construction. So yeah, we've done some pretty cool things. Like we built, last year we built these uh, little free libraries for low-income neighborhoods. I like to do that whole partnership thing, working with different entities. And something that's coming up shortly is that we're building a trade school with three pretty large partners Charlotte Mecklenburg School, Goodwill Industry of the Southern Piedmont, and uh, Central Piedmont Community College are all coming together to build a construction trade school for high school students. So we want ultimately for the construction industry to support it, which they are, but like in a long-term capacity. So that's pretty exciting. That'll start in the fall, actually. And they'll have a building, I think, in January. Um... (laughs) Right. So, and then the self-care movement is something that I've started here in Charlotte. That's huge. <laughs> started in Atlanta with Anana, but yeah, I've started it here in Charlotte. Just igniting people. They were already on the path of greatness, but to do it in community so that they're, they're not disparate and alone. And then all have similar language to support each other through the journey. I think has made our bond so much stronger. So that's that's been pretty cool. And I've run self-care classes. And, and then, you've done the Inspire Agency and you've done Amplify and Activate. Right. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, so I was getting into that. Like yeah. Inspire Agency, I did that in my last year in grad school. I started that about two years ago. That's my organization development practice where I facilitate really difficult conversations and develop leadership programs and do coaching and things like that. And then Amplify and Activate, you know, is my most recent powerful work. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so thank you. (laughs) Thank you for your leadership and innovation and your like, just like get to itness, your creative power. Yeah. And your your ability to bring people together and to see their leadership, to see their strength and be like, like you said, create a language around it and create community around it. That's so brilliant. Right, right. So what do you want your legacy to be? Well, I'm actually working on a huge, huge project with five other women of color right now. And, And it's going to be very specific and located in Charlotte. It's not ready to be announced just yet, but it will. That, I hope, from the bottom of my heart, will be a culmination of all the things that I've already done to express my highest love for for my people. I can't say too much about it. Like, Can you say t- what the intention is? The intention is to create space where in Charlotte, there's diminishing space for people of color. From gentrification to economic crash is not supported. Black people in particular having places and spaces to to be. So we're working on a a space that will bring together all the talents and create healing for us and centering our experience. So I'll say that much. 
And so for those that want to find you, what's the best way for folks to find you and all the amazing things that you're up to? <laughs> they can, they can find me rabble rousing on Facebook every once in a while. <laughs> I like to do that as a little outlet. <laughs> yeah. I'm just Jasmine Hines at, on Facebook or they can catch my Instagram is Inspower Agency. And there's also Amplify and Activate. They're both on Facebook and Instagram. So they can choose to follow and engage there. And the website uh, for Amplify and Activate will be selling tickets. Hopefully it'll be up by next week. I expected it to be up like a week ago, but technology is what it is sometimes. Yes. So um, hopefully it'll be up by next week. But there are a couple of webinars um, on the Facebook page for Amplify and Activate on understanding your bias. So that are very good. Thank that. you for doing that. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah, so Amplify and Activate will be here in Charlotte November 30th, December 1st and 2nd. So we'll be doing that again. And the whole crew will be here Diane Bondi and Anana Harris Paris, and then our local superstars, Keisha Battles and Kelly Carmody Woods, Patrice Funderburg. We're going to rip it up again like we did last year. <laughs> but I'm also supporting um, Michelle Cassandra Johnson. She's doing her book tour of skill in action. So she'll be here August 11th for her book reading. And then in September 15th, she'll be doing a workshop, skill in action weekend workshop. So mm-hmm. a couple more questions. Okay. Um, do you have a prayer or a wish for our country, the world, or the planet? Yeah, I just have a wish for people to just surrender to their truth, right? Just surrender to it, whatever that is. Find it, own it, and surrender to it. And you'll be so much more fulfilled in that way and connect with your humanity. And once people can connect with their own humanity by accepting their truth, I think the world will be a better place, right? Like my firm operates from the belief that change begins within. So be willing to do the work, you know, dismantle your white supremacy, you know, dismantle your internalized oppression. Let that shit go, you know, and just... Be who you are. Like my favorite line um, or quote is from Alvin Ailey, to be who you are and become what you are capable of are the only goals worth living. Yeah. That's my wish. Thank you. Welcome, my dear. Any final thoughts? Any final things you want to share? Just to acknowledge that all that we're experiencing has always been experienced right? It's just taken on a new form. The more we dig into our history and own the history of this country, teach that history to our children, to each other, and stop pretending that Santa Claus is real, unveil the truths of this history and of the country, acknowledge the people who have made it great. Like it's not just white folks that have made this country great. Mm-hmm. So many different people have contributed to this country being a great place to be. And so the whole marginalization myth is one that I'd like to destroy. You know, the the more we can come into acceptance of self and acceptance of others as being who they are. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that day. Me too. Yeah. And I'm on that train with you. (laughs) This I know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on that train too, baby. I've seen it. I've seen it. You are legendary. You need to know that. All right. Well, I see you. I am grateful for you. I am grateful for your courage, for your truth, for your just unmessableness and like doing what you know to do, honoring what your soul has been called here to do. It is not only of service for you, but everybody in your vicinity. And I see that and I celebrate that. And thank you because you help other people do that by you doing that. And I love you. 
And thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Emily. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Again, that was Jasmine Hines, and you can learn more and get involved at amplifyandactivate.org and theinspoweragency.com. This week, the call to action is to look at your life and your community and to notice what's thriving and notice what's not. Pick one area of the key categories referenced earlier, which are spiritual and emotional, artistic, economic, which is time, money, and energy, physical, educational, and social. Then take the next best baby step towards healing and thriving in one of these areas. If you'd like to dive deeper, go to amplifyandactivate.org and check out Anana Harris Paris's book, Self-Care Matters, A Revolutionary Approach. If you have a story to share or an experience that helped you find your voice, I'd love to hear your story. Go to she'sheard.com to keep in touch and learn of more opportunities to connect. Tune in to the next episode. More inspiration, wisdom, and insight is on the way. Until next time, standing in our collective liberation, be well.